Hello everyone, welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke and today I'm delighted to share with you the expertise, the experience of a friend of mine, Dirk Danen. Dirk is a communication expert at the National Centre for Vocational Training, the CNFPC, which is part of the Ministry of Education here in Luxembourg. He specialises in public speaking and other forms of communication. Dirk's passion is TED and he has hosted TED events in Luxembourg since 2013, currently the organiser of TEDx Luxembourg City. His wife, Tori, is an entrepreneur with her own scuba diving YouTube channel, and they live with their two teenage daughters just south of Brussels. Dirk, fabulous to have you here. Hi, Lisa. Thank you very much for having me on. That's really, uh, it's really nice of you. It's, it's always a joy to see you here in your wonderful red, which just emblazons the TED brand. I had to wear this. I mean, it's and for those of you obviously that can't see, this is my TED top. So it's bright red, which is uh, which is indeed the colour of TED. Now, for those who might not know, what is a TED talk? For those who don't know, gosh, well, firstly, go to TED.com and find out because it's just such an amazing platform. Uh, so what is a TED talk? Well, TED talks are 18-minute talks, maximum of 18 minutes, so some very effective ones are shorter. The themes are around really anything, but they're usually quite powerful talks, so anything from global issues to very local issues. Some are quite emotional, some are quite funny. Many of them are, are very inspirational, but they're all very educational, and really that's why I love the platform so much. People go onto TED.com and they go and click on a talk and they learn in these very short little segments. And I think we're all in an environment now where we realize the benefit of going online and just seeing a very short talk. You know, we're, we participate in these really long extended meetings, which are so draining. So it's really nice to have a really short, really well-structured, educational, informational talk um, that we can all learn from. And I know there's a very stringent structure behind each TED Talk. They're all given from a person's memory. There are no notes. And so from the point of view of an organiser, firstly, why did you want to bring them to Luxembourg? Well, I noticed that there were no TED Talks in Luxembourg, which I thought was really bizarre because... You know, I'm a huge fan of TED. I've been a fan of TED for, for as long as they've been around, really, sort of around 30, 30 odd years. It really surprised me. And I, I'd been to schools because I, I've, I, I come from an educational background, universities and, and high schools where I've taught. And I've seen that people use TED Talks, you know, especially in English classes or communication classes, they use TED Talks in the classroom. So I wondered, well, why on earth is there no TED event here in Luxembourg? So... As part of the university that I taught at, we we have a Middlesex University has a campus in the north of Luxembourg uh, called UBI. And as part of that university, we thought, well, let's get a university license to organize the first TED Talk here, which we did. And it was really great. It was very successful, albeit we thought of only inviting 100 people, but we sold out very quickly. But of course, that was up in Viltz, which is a beautiful place. But all the people that came to the event said, why are we coming up to Viltz? Why is there nothing in Luxembourg City? So, of course, a couple of years later, I applied for the regular license um, to do the Capital City Luxembourg City event. 
And that's been going ever since. It's, it's a phenomenally successful event. Our last event, we had 1,200 people at the Philharmonie, which was just a wonderful, wonderful event. Well, that actually wasn't the last one because you also had a female TED event. My apologies. That's right. That, that was the last TEDx Luxembourg City event. But indeed, we've had TEDx Luxembourg City women because obviously with the success of the platform, we thought, well, can we look at niches which we can really focus the TED platform on something worthwhile? So, of course, the first one that came to mind was doing a TEDx Women event, which TED do themselves. They, they do that in, in the US. So we ran TEDx Luxembourg City Women, which was just a phenomenal event. In another it, great location. Yes, at the European Convention Center. It was really beautiful, the way that we set it up. And in fact, the one thing, if I look back, I would really have tried to encourage more men to attend because the fact that it was a TEDx Luxembourg City Women event, I think in some way it attracted women to attend, not just speak, but also to attend. So we had uh, 10 speakers. One of the speakers was a man, um, but otherwise they were all incredible women that have really done incredible things with their lives. So it was a wonderful event, um, which happened in December prior to COVID, so December 2019. We did have another event, of course, planned in March 2020, which for obvious reasons couldn't go ahead, which was a real shame. But that that whole niche idea of TED, we've actually brought that forward. And that's why we're here. So yes. now with your hat on as part of the Ministry of Education, we're moving it out to TEDx Education. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always said I firmly believe that TED is one of the very, very best educational platforms out there. So while I had more and more to do with the Ministry of Education over here, I introduced the idea and said, well, listen, why don't we do a TEDx education event, which really is an event that focuses on current and future education. You know, how can we develop education? What are the success stories of education? And what can we learn from those? Um, what do the people in authority have to say about education? And what are their what are their thoughts on the future of education? So we're not going to announce any of the speakers quite yet. Because you haven't got them. Um, no, well... Uh, I can't really tell you, but okay, look, between us, you know, don't don't tell anybody, Lisa, but I do have assurances that the minister is going to talk. So that, <laughs> do I need to cut that out? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, I, I, um, no, I, I think, I think that's going to be great. I think. But you're uh, open for application for young yeah, speakers. I, 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 absolutely. So what we, what we've done is we've looked at the range of speakers. We're going to have nine speakers, but I would really love for one of those speakers to be a youth that represents an educational institution here in Luxembourg. Because, of course, the youth have such incredible things to say. They are the advent of good ideas, really. As many people have said, there's an incredible TED Talk about how education sort of kills creativity. So oh, Kenneth the very Robinson, famous one. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the most viewed TEDx uh, or TED Talk in, in history. And he recently died. Yeah, exactly, which was incredible shame. But indeed, so, so we understand that the older people get, generally the ideas tend to be less overwhelming and less adventurous. And so wouldn't it be great to have the ideas from our youth here in Luxembourg? So we are indeed looking for a youth speaker. And when I say youth, between the ages of 12 and 18 years old. So we've launched what we called an idea competition. 
So the ministry sent out a letter to all the headmasters and headmistresses of um, Luxembourgish schools. And the idea here is that they will announce to all of their students that there's an idea competition. So if a young person, again, between the ages of 12 and 18, and they go to a school in Luxembourg, it doesn't necessarily need to be public or private. It's everybody is open to join. They just need to submit their idea. The student needs to submit their idea to us. We'll have a look at the idea. We'll listen. And then we'll choose the best. Don't worry. If you want to apply, we will coach like we do every TED speaker. We have a professional coach that will go through the talk with the student and uh, make sure that it is the very, very best representation of their idea on a TED stage. And what kind of ideas are you looking for? Well, that, that is an interesting question, because what is an idea? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> so What's it, an idea? Exactly. So <laughs> I, I think... Really, it's very broad. You need to consider it from the perspective of maybe you've had a conversation as, as a young person here. You've had a conversation with your friends or with your parents or family members. And the reaction to what you were saying is, wow, that's a really good idea. Well, come and tell us what it was that you said. Because the motto of TED is ideas worth spreading. Ideas worth spreading. Absolutely. So... And maybe what else is an idea? Well, maybe there's a, a problem that you see around you and you think you have a solution to it. Well, come and tell us about it. It doesn't matter how small the problem is, or how big the problem is. Does this idea have to be linked to education? Not at all. No, this is one way that we can try. And, I mean, it can be, of course, but this is one way we just want to get somebody from our educational system to come and talk on the TED stage. So so really, it can be about anything. We just want to highlight the kind of students that we have here in this country, the, the phenomenal type of student we have in this country. So, so it, it can be any kind of idea. Um, and for the other speakers, yes. will the theme be educational based? Yeah, so we, we definitely are going to be looking at all elements of education. And it needs to be slightly broad. We're going to have speakers that come and talk about education, that come and talk about the future of education. But we will also have, let's say, for example, success stories, people that have come out of the Luxembourgish education system and have, with their passion that they learned, that have done something incredibly, and, and we have, by the way, an incredible person. Unfortunately, I can't tell you. Oh, um, but uh, <laughs> one but, day. Yeah, no, <laughs> one day absolutely. Soon. Well, listen, the, the events on the 12th of May. So actually, it's not very far. And people can register because it's a hybrid they event. They can. So go to org and come and register to, to get your ticket. And everybody that registers will get the link um, to the talk and you can you can come and see it. It will be a hybrid event, as you said. So there will be some people in person, but of course, we know that this isn't going to be a 1,200 people event. Um, so it, it really depends on what the regulations are at the time. You know, of <laughs> course, at the ministry. changing regulations. Yeah, and, and uh, we certainly can't take the risk of, of having any kind of super spreader event. That's, that's not on the card. So we will be taking absolute precautions for the event and hence the fact that it's hybrid and, and you can view it live online. Well, we'll put all of those attachments, links and how people can apply to this idea giving competition on the article associated with this podcast. But just in your experience as a professional and an expert public speaker yourself, and you've seen so many people, you've trained so many people. When you're trying to communicate an idea, how do you do it orally to make it shine and sparkle? So the idea needs to be solid. Okay, but over and above that, 
really, many people have great ideas, but they don't know how to communicate it. And that's something that I've pretty much dedicated my life to because I've seen my very first career. I was an IT consultant, and one Which of the, shocks me no, so I, much. I, know, I couldn't be any further <laughs> away from from this functional career that I had. But no, certainly in the soft skills. But what I saw as an IT consultant were these incredibly gifted people that had wonderful ideas. And they were programmers and they were people that really hated talking. And to a certain extent, they couldn't really communicate very well what it was that they wanted to say. So you needed these functional consultants who could almost translate that message, you know, take these really great ideas and translate it to the customer. What I do now is incredibly different, albeit there is a lot that I've learned from that experience. So those people that have really good ideas, how can we get them? How can we transform their method of communication into something that is engaging for an audience, that an audience want to listen to? So, and, and that's what we do. And actually, it's really very simple. You know, th this isn't rocket science. You can go through a checklist of things. You know, how does your voice sound? What's the volume? What's the intonation like? What are you doing with your hands? What are you, so gestures and body language? How do you engage people? Well, there's, there's a list of some 10 things you can do which guarantee to engage your audience. So what I do really is I try and spread that message. And I do that with TED, but also that's what I teach. So I, I teach... At, uh, in the educational system. So in fact, while I teach at high school and at university, one of the things I'm doing now, which I'm really getting a kick out of, is I'm training the teachers. Because wouldn't it be great if, our stu if the students in Luxembourgish schools had much more practice at speaking in public? If they had much more practice presenting in general? And it's, it's something that, that they need to be able to do. But of course, if the teacher is going to be reviewing what the students do, the teachers need to be giving the good advice. And there's very straightforward best practice on how to speak in public. So giving that information to the teachers, they can then bring that into the classroom so that they are giving really good advice to the students that start to present more. Well, one would almost hope and assume perhaps that teachers who as part of their everyday life have to stand in front of a class of students and present, public speak effectively, teach and share a passion hopefully for learning, that they would be practised in the art of public speaking. But it's all about perception. And, and so here's, I'm generally considered amongst my students as being the perception guy, because really all I ever do is tell people, if you want to communicate properly, consider it what is the perception of what you're saying? What you say doesn't matter. What people perceive you to have said is what matters. What you do doesn't matter. It's what people perceive you to have done. So you have this incredible group of people who are teachers and, and they do have incredible passion for what, they, what they've learned and they want to transmit that. They want to communicate that to their, to their students. And they do that very well because they practice every day. They stand up, they get in front of their students, and they've built a career of being very comfortable in front of a group of students. But then you ask them to go and talk to the parents. 
And it's incredible how many of those teachers will just crumble at the thought of having a different type of audience. And that's what I'm finding right now. When I do teach the teachers, they don't really have a problem speaking to the students, but they really are very nervous about speaking to the parents. They're very nervous about speaking to their colleagues. They're very nervous about speaking to the administration. That's a bit of an issue. Now, of course, that's, that's very clear. But again, there are there are ways of speaking. Now, if you have a group of kids between the ages of 12 and 18, you're going to speak to them differently than you will if your audience is a group of 18 to 23-year-olds. And in turn, you're going to speak to them differently if you're talking to adults, if you're talking, well, of course, they're adults, but I, let, let me put it this way. Everybody communicates differently considering the audience. I communicate very differently to my teenage daughters as I do to my wife. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Imagine if I spoke to my wife the way I speak to my kids. <laughs> I'd be divorced in a heartbeat. So, so really, it's about getting to understand when you're communicating, what's your audience like? How do you, how do you speak to them very specifically? And then getting comfortable with that and practicing it. Our teachers are very, very experienced at speaking to young children, at, at, to young adults. Mm -hmm. And so the um, other part of this is obviously the practice, the repetition and the having the chance to speak in front of those other types of audiences exactly. in other situations. Right. I love the idea. And of course, it's so true. It's the perception of what the listener is hearing you to be saying. I have this experience myself with my own teenage daughters that I am pretty sure I know precisely what I've said. What they've heard <laughs> is something completely different, often it turns out. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's absolutely mad. But of course, it just makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's very true. Every audience has something they want to know. Every audience has preconceived notions of what it is that you're telling them. So what you tell them is irrelevant. It's what they perceive you to have said. That is really relevant. And how much of that depends on things beyond the words? So you have your speech. Obviously, a speech is not the same as the written word. Right. It should not be. How much of that is given over in what we call presence on stage, the ambience you create with the audience, the eye contact, the connection you build with the audience? How much of that matters? Okay, so I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. I hope you don't mind. As far as I'm concerned, Please do. I like all of it, oh. none of it really has anything to do with the words that you say. The words you use to a certain extent is irrelevant to the effective communication of your message. So it's about building a trusting relationship. With it's, about, it's about talking in a particular way that the person listening to you wants to listen, that they want to hear what you're saying. So what you say is a lot less relevant. You know, there are a lot of statistics or studies that have been done out there. There's a, a study, probably the most quoted and occasionally misquoted study, a guy called Albert Morabian back in 1958. He did a study on how people perceive communication in an emotional setting. So Albert Morabian did this study and he discovered that of the passing your message through to your audience, only 7% of that is down to the words that you use. 38% of that is the way that you sound, so your voice, your, your manner of expression. And 55 of the effective communication of your message is your body language. So really what that highlights, while that isn't necessarily relevant for all types of communication, what it highlights is that the words you use are not 
that important when it comes to effectively communicating your message. So when I say the words you use are almost irrelevant, I genuinely believe that to be the case. You can have a really good idea, but if you get on the TED stage and nobody's listening because you can't get them to listen, nobody knows your idea even exists or they've misunderstood your idea, in which case, why get up in the first place and say it? It's, it's, it's not necessary. So do it, but spend more of your time, spend almost all of your time figuring out how to communicate. If you have a good idea, spend all of the time communicating your message in a very, very effective way. And that does mean think about your voice, think about your body language, think about how you're engaging the person that you're talking to. I'm going to be a bit controversial here now and say if so much depends on that link between you and the audience and the manner in which you're communicating and so much is down to body language, does it also depend on what you're wearing, if you're wearing glasses, what you look like, how you dress? I hate to say it, but body image, how much does that matter? Well, it, it definitely matters. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. I think the general rule is if people are listening to you and if people observe about you the way that you look, then you're doing something wrong. If you're trying to communicate an idea to somebody or you're trying to communicate a message of some variety and the person listening to you is thinking about your appearance, then you've done it wrong. Now, I'm not saying you should dress in the most conservative manner possible. No, I mean, you you have to have an identity. And, but people will get used to that and people will judge you on that basis, as people do. Judging a book by its cover is a thing, unfortunately, but it is. But people will get used to that and then that becomes less of a point. The issue really is here when you start to communicate, really make sure that they're focusing on what it is that you're communicating. What is your message? And the way to do that is addressing all the other aspects around your message. That's what, I mean, listen, we have plenty of evidence about this around us, don't we? Politics these days, global politics, not, not here in Luxembourg, but, um, but global politics. The message is somewhat confusing, I think. We can probably all agree. Often you know, contradicted. <laughs> very much. And, and half of the people believe one thing and half of the people believe another. It, it's just the things that are said are, are, are so bizarrely contradictory. And yet half of us believe one thing and half of us believe another. Why? Because we have a certain affiliation to somebody who's giving the message. We can connect with one person better than we can connect with another. And that really is the job of the speaker. If somebody's not listening to you, it's your fault as a speaker. It's that simple. You can't say, yeah, but my audience weren't listening. That's right, they weren't, because you didn't make them listen. And, you know, it's one of those things. Have you ever had a really bad teacher? I mean, you've been to university, Lisa, you know what it's like. You have one of those lecturers that just stands at the bottom of this auditorium and they sound very monotone and they sound, it's not exciting at all. And then everybody gets bad grades. Well, these days, if everybody at a university is getting bad grades, they don't look at the problem with the students. They look at what's the problem with the teacher. Or the exam. Or the exam. <laughs> it's a bit too difficult. That, that's fair. 
But I mean, talking about exams, you know, these days, more and more examinations are happening in person, they're presentations. Which brings me back to another point, which Please. is now that you're with the Ministry of Education, how important are soft skills, as we call them, which public speaking comes under the umbrella of soft skills? And do you think enough of that is being pumped into the educational system? Look, I, I'm there. I'm in the Ministry of Education right now working in different aspects because I really, really believe that this is something that is necessary more than is currently the emphasis is being placed on it. I really want this to be integrated into high schools properly. I, and I know it's difficult. You know, we... Let, let, let me give you a little bit of... Uh, a, here's a little story about what happened to me, why I think this is so important. You know, I, I've traveled around my whole, my whole childhood. So I followed my parents wherever they went. At one point in time, I, I was at, a, at an English school and there the general rule is speak when you're spoken to, you know, so, so shut up and listen to the teacher, make notes, you're, you're golden. And then I, I moved when I was 12 years old, I went to an American school in Brazil. And one of the very first classes I had was a math class. And that math class, my math teacher, Mr. Hansen, he, it was, I think we were about a week in and he said to us, okay, um, for homework, everybody, I want you to do the exercises at the end of chapter one. We've just finished chapter one, makes sense. And you know what, while we're at it, do the uh, exercises at the end of chapter two, that way you're prepared for chapter two. And you could hear this murmuring in the class, hey, that's unfair. <laughs> and he said, he said, you know what, listen, let, let's just be prepared. Everybody, you have to do the, uh, the exercise at the end of chapter three also for tomorrow. So we were all we were all complaining, but we didn't really vocalize it. So what happened? Well, I was new in that school, so I thought, well, if the teacher tells me to do something, I have to do it. I came from an English educational background where, or my previous three years was an English school, where if I didn't do something, I'd be in trouble. So the following day, we walk into the class and, the, and Mr. Hansen says to us, okay, who did the exercises? So, of course, I put my hand up with only one other person in the class, is this girl who was obviously very, very clever. So we had our hands up and he started laughing. He said, God, I bet you feel stupid. What? He said, how much time did you guys spend doing those exercises? Well, a long time. And of course, now the entire class breaks out into absolute fits of laughter, pointing at us, we're stupid. And he said, okay, wait, wait, wait. So are you saying that the rest of you didn't do the, the, the homework? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we're clever. He said, no, no, everybody who didn't do the homework, you've all got detention tonight. Yeah, but wait, that's, that's unfair. What's going on? His point was, why didn't you come and talk to me about it? Just because I tell you to go and do something, if you don't think it's fair, come and talk to me about it. Come and challenge me. Right? Doing, asking you to do three sets of exercises was completely unfair. It was completely ridiculous. I only gave you one night to do it. That was really, really dumb that nobody came and spoke to me and said, hey, Mr. Hansen, this is going to take us some three hours. We don't have the time to do it. Can you? So this idea of challenging a teacher, this was, this was ingrained to me when I was very, very young. So, so here I am right now, I'm, I'm at the Ministry of Education and I'm thinking it's so important to be able to communicate effectively with the teachers, with the people around you. You need to be able to have, to have the courage to stand up and speak, which is what none of us had at that time. 
I mean, I definitely grew into it. And, and by the, by the <laughs> <Clearly>. way, <laughs> three years after, I was in that education system for three years. And then, of course, I went back to a British school because I went back to the UK. My very first day, my parents were called into school <laughs> because I was considered a troublemaker. My, his <laughs> my history teacher said, OK, in your opinion, what is whatever it was, something about World War II, I think, at the time. And so I put my hand up and I gave him my opinion. And he said, no, no, that's wrong. <laughs> I put my hand up again. I said, no, it's not wrong. That's my opinion. How could you consider my opinion to be wrong? Was there anything factually incorrect in what I said? He said, well, I didn't talk about this in class. So it's got nothing to do with that. It's wrong. Of course, I couldn't take that because I was told to challenge the teacher. And so my parents were called into the school. That was a, that was a palaver. But I, I think the point here really is, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, difficult for the teachers if children challenge the teachers. I mean, the teachers are experts in their field. If a student challenges the teacher, it's because they're really interested in the subject. Teachers should really feel proud that their students are talking to them or engaging with them or challenging them. I think this is a really good thing. Students need to learn to engage the teacher, each other. There should be many more presentations constantly taking place. These assessments should really be presentations, a lot of them. And I know that's a little bit difficult because how do you, if you have a written test, there's almost perfect transparency of the grade awarded. Whereas if you stood up and said something, that transparency isn't necessarily as clear. But there are ways around doing that. Accreditation bodies have established how you do this very, very clearly. So I, I think that's hugely important. So yes, right now I'm at the Ministry of Education and we're really, I'm really trying very, very hard to insert this to our classrooms. And I think one of the first ways of doing that is teaching the teachers. So I'm doing some courses at IFEN, which is the organization that teaches teachers. Um, and, you know, as long as they know, as long as they feel comfortable with presentations, hopefully they'll encourage their students to do that more. And, you know, who knows? I mean, I'm working with um, at the House of Startups now to get these entrepreneurs to be able to present properly. Um, I'm working at the CNFPC where, you know, hopefully we can, people will come for further education, will come and talk about soft skills and learn how to do this properly. The World Economic Forum, they published a report, I think it was in November, uh, just of this last year. They highlighted that it was all about um, future skills. They highlighted the second most important future skill is communication. What was number one? I, I don't know because it was irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> to my career, it was irrelevant. But no, it, it was published in October. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. But uh, I, I think it was something to do with uh, with programming. Or, but it, it certainly wasn't the soft skill. But interestingly, they also identified that communication was actually the skill that needed the most time to perfect. So I think we need to start early. Like, let's start in the very, very beginning of our of our education. Let's get that up and running. Let's get kids presenting. Let's get kids talking. Well, Not I just, fully agree. Yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. And you're such a joy to talk to because effectively I just sit back and listen. I mean, you, oh, I'm sorry. you I, certainly... I do talk a lot. Excuse no, you. <laughs> I mean, really, you're doing what you're preaching. You're, you're making me listen. I'm on the edge of my seat. And actually what you've said, I have so many questions because firstly, I'm thinking of that um, American school over in Brazil. And I'm thinking that teacher set you up in a position whereby he didn't try train you 
to combat what he was asking you to do, to say this is unfair, etc. He put you, threw you into that position. So you learned pretty much instantly. And then going back to the British school at that time where they were saying, oh, no, 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 be nice and quiet and just follow the rules. It's not the same there now, I can assure you. <laughs> no, I, no, of course. And, and I think that's the good thing is that that relationship between student and teacher is is developing. And it's developing, in my view, in a very, very positive manner. I, I think it's, as I said, it, it's really encouraging when a student feels like they can communicate on a on a on a good footing with a teacher that they can challenge them that they can talk to them about the subject Mm -hmm. it's so important for a student to feel passionate about a subject i see it now with my girls you know they, they go to school and they come home and they they love a particular subject why do they love that subject? Because of the teacher. Correct. I mean, that's massively why people go on to hone in on the subject choices they end up doing for the last couple of years. It's often to do with the way in which that subject is taught, if not more than the subject itself. I know that's been true in my case. As well. Absolutely. People find their passion because of people communicating it in a passionate way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. For, for sure. The other thing I'm thinking is that it's, it's such a a sensitive line the teacher has to walk. And again, I've, I've observed this through my own children, whereby um, if a child wants to ask a question, well, first of all, teachers are not on duty 24 hours a day. So they, with uh, the way in which one can communicate, and particularly through COVID times, everything has gone online. So I know teachers have had to set up certain hours in which they work to have a framework of just a life outside of teaching. But also they always have to be sort of on top form because it's so easy for a teacher to dismiss a question like you had in your history class back in England (laughs) a long time ago. And that can dent one's confidence. If you don't have that kind of inner core of confidence, you can be put off ever asking a question again. That's that's so true. And, you know, there are... I, th- I think it's really important to distinguish because a lot of students, they, they turn around and say, oh, well, you know, I'm really introverted. And, and so I, I don't feel like, listen, being an introvert is a really good thing. Being shy is a really bad thing. So our students need to be trained out of being shy. And you're absolutely right. If they have a bad experience when they do get the courage to come out and say something, that can have very, very detrimental effects. So, so it, it's it's incredibly true that teachers have a massive impact on on our kids, and and so hence all the more reason to really address this from a, from a, from an early age, um, or as soon as possible. My final question to you, really, then, is how do you teach somebody courage? Gosh, I don't I don't know that you can. I think. Courage comes from practice. Courage comes from doing things over and over, getting good feedback, getting... Listen, I've got to tell you, I'm an introvert. So am I. (laughs) Right. And everybody thinks, no, of course you're not an introvert. Look, you're standing up on stage in front of 1,200 people. No, this is a show, right? I, I come out of myself and I know not to be shy. And you take the day off you take the day off afterwards and, re- and recover <laughs> yes. because it's, it's really difficult. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I, I love doing stuff like this because I get positive feedback afterwards, you know, and when people, when enough people say to you, oh, I really enjoyed that, then you become more courageous. You become slightly, you, you begin to embrace the fact that it has an outcome that people enjoy. And it's for other people, ultimately. It, it really is. And I, I feel like, and, and that's the whole concept of perception. 
everything you talk about. It is for the perception of the person listening. And if, if you bear that in mind, if there's one thing that people can take away from this podcast, other than please enter the idea competition, it's on men.lu, so it's on the Ministry of Education uh, website. It's also on tedxluxembourgcity.org. And it'll so please, be on this article. And it will be on this article. Mm. Wonderful. So just click on the link, go through and submit your idea. The second point to take away from this is is very much it's all about perception. You know, communication is only about perception. So if you if you ever meet me some somewhere in the streets of Luxembourg and and you point to me and say, "Oh, hey, I I forgot everything that guy said, but I do remember that he said perception was important because you repeated it a thousand times." My job's done. And I think of it because I sort of walk a similar path in life here and there. <laughs> I always think that I am just the conduit for a message. And so it's about getting whatever that message is to the listener. Yeah. And, I, and really, that's why I appreciate so much you letting me on the show oh, and coming it's a on great to do this podcast. Pleasure. It's a great pleasure. And to see a person like you in person again, what a thrill. So <laughs> really, much. really a, a great pleasure. And obviously, we want as many young people to throw in their ideas, because even if they're not chosen, they won't go unnoticed. No, and, and please, you're absolutely right. You know, what, what happens to all those ideas? They're, they're with us. We do TEDx events on a regular basis. We're, you know, at, at one point we are aiming to try and do three a year. The TEDx education event is certainly something we hope to repeat every year. And I think the ministry is super behind it. So that's really positive. There are some amazing people at the ministry that, that I work with that I have so much admiration for because they really do it for the right reasons. I'm I was really blown away by some of the people that I work with there. Uh, the TEDx Women event, we'd love to repeat that because the, the success of the first event was really wonderful. With more men in the audience. Well, and really, I, I hope you can invite me back just to try and convince the men to come. Because, oh, well, uh, I think you're the organiser. So. <laughs> oh, like, what's the point in having a TEDx Women event if there are no men there to see these incredible women? Um, I, I think it's got to be a celebration of women, but everybody needs to celebrate. So... And of course, we're going to have the TEDx Luxembourg City event. So ideally, we will have three events. As soon as the youth come and give us their ideas, this is these are with us and we will certainly contact you in the future. If you have a great idea and, and we feel like there's a stage for you, TEDx organizers are all looking to help each other to try and find incredible people. So, so please come and submit your ideas. And even if you don't get chosen this time, you know, there's still plenty of opportunity in the future. Absolutely. And just to, to finish off by saying this event will be in English. It will. The event will be in English. Having said that, we are talking right now about potentially having some talks in French and in Luxembourgish. Probably not at this event, but but certainly that is something in the future. Really, the TED platform is predominantly in English. So on the TED platform, I'd say probably about eighty percent of those talks are in English, and and those talks are the ones that can go that can go viral. I mean, we've had people here in Luxembourg that have had over twelve million views on the TEDx stage here in Luxembourg. But those are global views. Okay, if you're going to do the talk in French or in Luxembourgish, chances are you're, it's never going to go viral to that extent. But so what? You know, if it goes viral here, and wouldn't it be cool to have a TED talk in Luxembourgish? Very cool. That doesn't exist right now. Can in you fact, believe it? Let's just finish on the point that it's just very cool to have done a TED talk at all. Exactly. 
I mean, it really is. I tend to find that some people, it's just a bucket list item. It's the dream to do it. By the way, it's the dream for me as well. I really want to do one, but I can't do it on my own stage. As an organiser, I can't do any kind of talk in the place where I am. So which country are we looking at then? Oh, I don't know. I, either Belgium or France or the UK, um, Brazil. God, I'd love to do it there. I mean, I've lived in all these different countries. I've lived in the US. I've lived all over. Um, so, so sure, any of those places would be lovely. <laughs> well, once things open up a bit more and flying is another thing that we can enjoy and uh, we'll all go and support you, whether it be virtual or not. So in the next few years, you're going to be on a TED stage in Brazil. There's no question about it. <laughs> Thanks. Derek, thank you so much as always for your time. We can't wait for this event. It's going to be exciting as ever. And we'll bring all the details to our audience at RTL Today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I hope everybody that's listening, please tune in 12th of May on Wednesday and all the young people listening, please apply to our idea competition. And register as well. Register. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. 